Welcome to the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Podcast. I'm Teresa Wiedrich from CapturingTheCharmLife.com. If you are a homeschool mama challenged by doubt, not sure you can do this homeschool thing. If you're a homeschool mama challenged by overwhelm, there are just too many things to do. Or if you are a homeschool mama unsure that the way you're showing up in your homeschool isn't the way you want to be showing up in your homeschool, then this is the podcast for you. I'm here to encourage you in your homeschool journey to help you strategize ways to turn your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms. So welcome, homeschool mama. Today, I get to introduce you to Colleen Kessler. Colleen provides online homeschool and parent coaching to help you feel confident as you parent your differently wired kiddo and bring peace back to your family. Colleen has a master's degree in gifted education and spent 10 years as a gifted intervention specialist advocating for the bright and often misunderstood children with whom she worked. Colleen left classroom teaching in 2007 to write full-time. She's a gifted specialist, educational consultant, author, speaker, and homeschool mom of four gifted, twice-exceptional kids. Now that she homeschools her own gifted kids, Colleen continues to advocate for the needs of gifted children everywhere. She believes the kids learn best when they're free to explore the world around them, discovering, creating, and imagining along the way. Colleen is passionate about lifelong learning and encouraging a love of education and discovery in children. Whether your kids are twice exceptional, neurodiverse, differently wired kiddos, or quirky kiddos, you are going to benefit from this conversation. I love what she says. Parents know their kids best, and they need to trust their gut. We talk all about what is twice exceptional, the quirks that you might see in a twice exceptional kiddo. Colleen encourages homeschool parents. If you have a quirky kid of any form, it doesn't matter where they are educationally, you'll always feel like they're missing something. The best place for them is with you. No one can love them more than you. No one has their best interest in mind more than you. You can do this, she says. There's nobody that loves your kids like you do, and there's nobody that will tailor their education like you will. And she shares that even if you worry, don't let your doubts get in your way because you don't ever have to do this alone. So, Whether you have a child that is twice exceptional, neurodiverse, differently wired, if you have a kiddo and you're homeschooling, you want to listen to this discussion. So it is such a pleasure to have you here. I feel like I know you. I feel like I've been spending at least an hour every week for the last number of years learning about you. And I know we've never met, but I'm very pleased to chat with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. It's nice to talk to you and to finally connect face to face. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I I really appreciate the last, I think it was three posts ago, you had shared on Instagram a little bit about you. And you said, I'm probably a lot like you, homeschool mama trying to keep all the things together while running a household, getting to appointments, getting food on the table, always behind on the laundry and trying to make sense of high school math so the kids can make sense of it, all while making sure the littlest one doesn't sneak off somewhere to wreak havoc, special needs are met, intensities intensities are diffused, 
anxieties are soothed, and emotions are validated. And I'm like, yep, welcome to homeschooling. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Yep, that's pretty much my life in a nutshell right there. I'd love to hear about your homeschool story and about your homeschool family. Sure. Um, So we started, actually, we started homeschooling 12 years ago, a little bit over 12, maybe 13. This February might be be 13, Um, kind of kicking and screaming a little bit. It was not what I intended to do. Uh, I had been a teacher for a decade and a half. I was a specialist um, in gifted studies. I worked with gifted and special needs kids, um, mostly in third grade. Uh, when I was in the classroom and, um, but then I consulted with various ages and left teaching originally to freelance, write full-time and to write books and, uh, resources for teachers, parents, and kids, and had this idyllic kind of view of what my life was going to be like. I'd have, you know, my little passel of children, send them off to school, write, you know, in my little alcove office while they were at school and have cookies waiting for them when they got off the bus. Right. And, um, my oldest uh, is profoundly gifted with little dashes of anxiety and ADHD and other kinds of quirks and was not fitting in to the regular classroom. And so uh, about first grade, uh, we ended up pulling him out kind of under duress. Uh, actually, it wasn't even kind of, it was completely under duress because I didn't know any other homeschoolers. I wasn't sure what I was going to be doing. It's a different world homeschooling your own than it is to work with your, with other people's gifted children. And at the time we pulled him out, I also had a toddler who was very precocious and a newborn nursing baby. And so, and I was writing full time. I was, um, I had a babysitter coming 15 hours a week so Mm -hmm. I could write and she could bring the baby to me to nurse. And uh, it was busy and it was crazy. And like I said, I didn't know anybody else who did it. And so I was figuring it out kind of as I went along. And here we are 13 years later, my younger three have never gone to school. Um, and so I have a 19 year old who that first guy just graduated in May. And I have a 14 year old freshman a 12-year-old, she kind of hovers uh, around seventh, eighth grade, depending on the subject, and then um, a nine-year-old third grader. And they are just as quirky, just as asynchronous, (laughs) just as differently wired as their big brother was, and kind of all over the place. It's a lot of chaos and excitement (laughs) and busy, busy, busy. And we kind of, gosh, I'm saying kind of a lot because it's hard to encapsulate what we are. We just go with the flow or eclectically homeschool, uh, unschooly kind of interest led, yep. creatively flowing, whatever uh-huh. floats our boat kind of homeschoolers. So <laughs> after this many years homeschooling, there is no real descriptor that you can encapsulate. No. You always, almost everybody defaults to um, eclectic. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Sometimes I say classically unschooled and that's just sounds like an oxymoron, but I'm kind of somewhere in between. Yeah. 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 So are we pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. Somewhere. It depends on the child, depends on the year. Sometimes it depends on the week. Yeah. Yes. That is uh, similar to my experience, except that I have a 21 year old, but we both graduated a 19 year old this year and the heartstrings of, you know, that feeling of launching them into the world. That is, that is a big moment for us mamas as well as our kids, of course. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Definitely. 
So I'd love to hear about the chicken and the egg. Here's the thing. So you did the the twice exceptional or the um, master's in education in this specific focus before you had kids. And then you had kids in a similar experience. So, you know, you, you had the master's first and then you had the children. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that it helped me. Um, it's, it's so interesting, right? Um, and I had a winding path to it. I actually went originally uh, for a master's degree in reading and I switched after a couple of classes um, after connecting with uh, some different professors. I had a really great professor who was my advisor in reading um, in my reading masters, very well-known uh, multi-published author, kind of one of the big gurus in reading education. And uh, we were talking about a project that I had created and his comments on it were, this is publishable. And I hadn't thought at that point yet about writing professionally, though I wrote for fun. And as I was diving into the idea of potentially looking into publishing that, uh, he introduced me to another professor. And this was um, a professor who specialized in gifted special needs with a heavy focus on social and emotional needs of yeah. gifted kids. And um, it just resonated with me. And I ended up switching uh, my master's degrees after, I think it was like three classes and uh, completely switching my focus. I, I originally, I wasn't sure what I wanted to go for my master's in and didn't have kids at the time. So I was just kind of going up the the salary step ladder in the school district. And so I, I did reading because I didn't have a problem reading. I kind of came out of the womb reading. I don't remember. Nobody remembers me not reading. And uh, so I was definitely precocious and bright. I was in gifted programs growing up. Uh, so I thought that maybe going for a master's in reading would help me understand the struggling readers in my classroom. Mm -hmm. And then when I started talking about the gifted program with this professor, I realized that gifted education really aligned with my own philosophy of education, meet the kid where they are, no matter what their needs are, high or low, move them forward and get them excited about learning right. in their own way. And so I switched and just loved it. I still didn't think that I was going to go into specializing. I just thought I'd get my master's and I'd still stay in the classroom and um, be more innovative and more fun. But I ended up, uh, a, a job kind of fell in my lap um, based on some connections that I'd made and some conversations I was having. Uh, and I ended up leaving my district to be a gifted specialist. And I just fell in love. Now, when I moved over there, I didn't realize when I was interviewing for the position that I was pregnant at the time. And I had one more class. Uh, I was finishing my master's in gifted education. So uh, I got the job, you know, in September and I was finishing my master's that November, October. So I was mm. going to graduate that December uh, with my, with my master's. And so I moved over, found out I was pregnant right after I accepted the job, ended up going on um, bed rest in October when I started mm -hmm. this new position and finished my gifted master's with that baby, that now 19-year-old um, in his car seat in the class while I, you know, defended my master's thesis and uh, talked to my professor about all that stuff. So anyway, um, yeah, the master's came first and still interestingly, I worked, I kept working for that district. I loved it. I loved what I did. I loved the quirkiness and the interesting 
things that those kids came up with, the conversations we had, their quirks were definitely, definitely challenging and different every day of the week. Um, I loved advocating for them. I loved being their, um, their sounding board, but also their defense against doing more of the same work in the classroom. I, uh, so that was really fun for me. Um, but then as my kid grew and talked early and, um, problem solved early and had the same similar quirky thoughts, I missed the, the characteristics of giftedness that he was actually showing because I was so steeped in that world. Interesting. Um, I was so surrounded by other really bright, bright and creative kids that it was just kids to me. Um, And it wasn't until we were having him evaluated for ADHD and some other challenges that this, that a psychologist kind of leaned over and said, you do know he's gifted, right? We, we probably should go and see what his IQ is. And I sat there stunned, like the Pied Piper or the, the shoemaker with his kids going shoeless, you know, (laughs) how on earth could I have missed this? But absolutely his problems are exactly like the problems that I fight for my kids' rights at the school, in the school system. Isn't and that so, yeah. yeah, it was, it was different. And like you said, the degree came first, but the degree yeah. didn't help me identify my own kid. It kind of blinded me actually. Yeah, that is very interesting. Um, I would love to hear your differentiation between the different terms. I, mean, I never know which ones are the right ones to use. Like you say twice exceptional or gifted or what other terms do you use and how do you delineate them? So um, I guess clinically the, the terms are gifted and twice exceptional. And so giftedness is if we were going just from a straight identification scientific standpoint, it is two standard deviations above average IQ. So if you're looking at an IQ test and a distribution plot, um, that bell curve, right? The top of the bell curve is average. And then two standard deviations below average, you get kids with developmental delays and disabilities and things like that. Two standard deviations above that average, you get kids who have a higher than normal cognitive ability. They process things quickly. They understand more complex concepts. They think outside the box. They're more creative. Um, But those kids are just as differently wired as the kids on the other side of that bell curve. And so oftentimes disabilities go hand in hand with those heightened cognitive abilities. And so twice exceptionalities are simply, twice exceptional kids are simply kids who are gifted. So they're higher cognitively um, and also have a learning. um, So an educational, a psychological, a neurological or a physical disability in addition to the giftedness. So they're kids who, and adults who are gifted and have ADHD or gifted and have clinical anxiety or gifted and have um, a neurological delay or a physical disability. I've had, um, I've worked with students who had cerebral palsy, but uh, super high, high IQ. Um, And uh, I worked with my first year of teaching ever, a student who was um, a paraplegic And he wrote with a pencil in his mouth, Mm -hmm. fascinating child, had a full-time aide who was wonderful and he was brilliant Mm -hmm. and so creative and so innovative. 
but his his physical challenges certainly got in the way of his learning and his social and emotional right. um, abilities. And so uh, a twice exceptional child is kind of like gifted with another glitch that goes along with it. Right. Um, but because a lot of people, especially in the homeschool world, right, um, don't officially identify or diagnose kids, I tend to talk about um, the, this kind of wiring using different terminology that you would identify with. You would think about if you're thinking about your kid quirky, differently wired, outside the box, creative, um, different, just a wiggly, right? Um, because we tend to see our kids as moving all of the time, as wiggly, as quirky, as differently wired, and don't necessarily think, oh, my child is gifted, or oh, my child has sensory processing disorder, or oh, that's anxiety. So um, I talk in terms parents might see their own kids in, and then we kind of Mm -hmm. tease out where their child actually fits if we were talking about it clinically. Okay, so you have a quiz on your website, Raising uh, no, I, yep. Raising lifelong learners. Yeah. Thank you. Raising lifelong learners. And, um, so what are maybe some key quirks that you would see? Because I have four kids and all of them are very different, different. And it's easy to identify that that's quirky. I had a child that definitely was very busy, probably had a sensory processing disorder and I didn't recognize it at the time. Um, so what would you say to a homeschool parent that kind of wonders if that's the case? Yeah. So the quiz that's on the site uh, right now is all about learning styles. And, you know, there's, there's lots of um, debate out there about learning styles. Like, should we even figure out our kids learning styles? Because don't they just have to learn and learn to get along in society with however the curriculum is presenting it. The reason I have learning styles there is because if you are working with a kiddo who um, are raising a kiddo who has uh, some kind of challenge, some kind of quirk, some kind of struggle. Uh, They also have strengths. And oftentimes the best way to help them work on their struggles is to do it through their strengths. And so the learning style quiz, it's definitely like any kind of online quiz you would take is subjective, right? Because you could be answering in one way and the next time answer in a different way and you could get, you know, three different answers for your child, but it gives you a ballpark idea. Is my, is my child more kinesthetic? Is, are they interpersonal or intrapersonal? Do they work well with people or are they more kind of introspective? Do they like to use their hands? Do they prefer to read or do they prefer to listen? And um, so when I talk to parents about that in particular, I always say, you know, think about the way that you would choose to learn something new. If I were to learn something new or need to learn something new, I'd get a book or I'd read an article because I process things very visually through like words, written words. Whereas my oldest is very auditory and he's also, um, he prefers uh, listening and watching and not not reading it passively. So he he would learn through a video or a podcast or something like that. And so that quiz kind of teases out some of that so that if you see your child struggling in one area, you could potentially use that idea that they learn better through movement to incorporate movement, not in all areas, because they do need to use a workbook. Sometimes they do need to watch a video. Sometimes they do need to read a textbook sometimes, but in the areas in which they struggle, then you can incorporate movement in that area. So their confidence is built up and they're more likely to be successful. 
That's right. Yes. And, and that's actually simply what I say to people is to observe, you know, are they wanting to sit with you to do this thing? Or do they want to go to their bed? Do they want to listen? Do they want to watch? For me, just the same as um, understanding personality profiling. I mm-hmm. think it's really important just to observe. There's no hard and fast rule to all of these things. There's not a guarantee that just because you have maybe a label or a personality profile attached to you that therefore everyone around you is going to understand you or know how to address your needs, but it gives you a greater sense of awareness about that person and how you can help engage them or encourage them. Actually, like you said, really ultimately our goal is to help our kids become all that they were meant to be is what I think something like that I saw somewhere on your on your website and that is that's our goal that's the reason we go into homeschool or at least eventually we discover that that might be the biggest goal in homeschooling absolutely so, so as a mom or as a parent of these kids i can imagine that there comes with it some anxiety or some worry about are you doing what you uh, really want to be doing for this child is that an experience that you're familiar with or you've heard a lot of other people say yeah absolutely well I think any homeschool parent right worries that they're not doing enough because you're now responsible for everything you're not taking you're not taking a portion of the parenting responsibilities and outsourcing it to a school or someone else you're responsible for everything So it's completely natural to doubt or worry or wonder. And then when you have somebody in your home that you love more than anything else that doesn't quite seem to fit the same, I don't know, trajectory or box or path or scope and sequence that the majority of the kids seem to be fitting, Mm -hmm. you feel like you're missing something or not doing something or doing something wrong or differently, it's natural for us to put that on our own shoulders and take on, you know, not only um, responsibility, but blame sometimes when the truth of the matter is kids are kids and everybody is different from one another and everybody kind of has their own path to walk. And our job is to facilitate in whatever way is best for them. Mm -hmm. But when you have someone that looks so different in whatever way it is, Um, And gifted kids, twice exceptional kids often look different because they are what we call asynchronous, meaning they kind of see many ages at once. They might be super advanced in one subject area, well behind in another, uh, Mm -hmm. socially immature, unless they're talking about a topic that's they're passionate about, in which case they sound like they're 30 years old and have just completed a dissertation in college about it. And it can make you feel like you're missing something. Like if they're able to talk on that level, well, why are they throwing mulch on the playground at the five-year-olds when they're 12? Or why are they not performing in math when they're so far ahead and advanced in reading or writing? And so you start to doubt and you start to worry and then you start to take it on. But you can't compare a gifted kid, a twice exceptional kid, a child with profound anxiety or sensory processing disorder, or ADHD with other kids who are neurotypical because they, they don't develop along that nice, neat path. And so, yeah, that doubt and that worry and that those feelings of kind of ineptitude are very, very prevalent with both parents of gifted kids and parents of special needs kids. 
So how do you encourage people to take this on then? Because, you know, a few years ago, I was sitting in a curling rink. Yes, I'm Canadian, but in a (laughs) curling rink. And one of my kids was competing or was part of a, a group. And I was chatting with one of the dads who was a principal at a local elementary school. And at that time, I was part of an advocacy group for the homeschool in our province or homeschooling group in our province. And he and I were chatting about education. And I said, I've heard, I've seen actually many people leave the system because their children are on the spectrum. Now, this is a different discussion on the on mm-hmm. the spectrum. But he said, um, or I said, I've seen this mass exodus, like over the last few years, people are leaving because the schools aren't able to enable these kids to become who they were meant to be. The parents feel like they're not being supported. And he said, no, I don't see the exodus. They come to the school for help and for special help. And I don't see that. I see exactly the opposite, that people are leaving the system for that purpose. Yet the parents at the end of the day, they still don't always feel equipped to deal with their children or to give them the best of what they can. I believe the parent, no matter how much they might feel incapable, are the greatest advocate. And just like my experience in pediatric nursing, you always knew that the parent had a really strong sense of what was going on with their child. And you couldn't discharge a child based on the parent's opinion, but the parent knew something was up. That means they should probably deal with it. Or if the child is back to normal, they're probably going to get discharged. And I think the parent, no matter whether they can foresee the future or know exactly what tools should be given to the, you know, the family or the child, they always know how to advocate the best, but we don't always feel that we are certainly not certain of that in ourselves. So how do you address that? How do you help parents that they are the greatest advocate for their child actually address, you know, the challenges that the child has, where would you suggest they go or what would they do for their child? Yeah. So the first thing that I would say is um, echoing what you were saying that parents know their kids best and they need to trust their gut, right? Um, And if you have a quirky kid of any shape or form, if you have a special needs kid, if you have a child on the spectrum, if you have a gifted or twice exceptional child, it really doesn't matter where they are educationally, you're still going to feel like they're missing something. So they could be in the school system and you're going to be feeling like they're not getting their needs met exactly as you would want them to have their needs met. They could be in a special school for kids just like them. And you're still going to feel that them individually uh, are not getting what it is exactly they need because something's Mm -hmm. missing. If their home you're going to be feeling that way because our gut is to want everything for them right away and to know that they're still struggling, but Mm -hmm. all kids struggle, whether they're special needs or not, whether they're neurotypical or neuroatypical, they all struggle because that's what childhood's all about. It's about the struggles (laughs) and learning from the struggles and moving on from that struggle to the next one and the next one, because it's in the process of all of those struggles that we begin to form who we are. They begin to form who they are and they overcome and they develop their resilience and their confidence and their um, interests and their passions and their desires. And, and so it doesn't matter where you put your kid, 
you're still going to feel like something's missing. And so the best place for them is with you because nobody can love them more than you. Nobody has that at their heart. Nobody has their best interest as at the forefront of their minds and every choice they make like you do because every other person that's going to be responsible for their education will be simultaneously responsible for someone else's education, but you're only responsible for your kid. And so you've already beaten back that doubt because nobody cares as much as you, no one's going to move as many mountains as you, and nobody's going to advocate harder than you. So that particular fear is completely unfounded because it doesn't matter where you put them. You're still going to have those fears in there. And then, so the second thing that I would say to a parent who is feeling like, I don't know that I can actually do it or overwhelmed because there's so much in parenting an atypical child that is that you have to remember that you're your child's safe space. So it's always going to feel hardest to you. It's always going to be the most important thing to you. It's always going to be, you're always going to be the best person equipped for it, but it's also always going to be the hardest for you because of that care factor. And so you have to allow, and and plus, um, I want to say this before I go to the next part is that, um, your, your kid's person, that safe place, they know that you're not going to walk away. They know that you're not sending them to the principal or to somebody else. Like you're going to go to continue going to bat for them. You're going to continue loving them. So they can dump all over you when they're frustrated and they're not able to understand something or whatever, because they know they can rant and rail and fight with you because you're not going anywhere. You're still going to be there. So for those parents of atypical kids who have, the the weight of homeschooling, the weight of parenting, and then the added weight of having an atypical child who doesn't fit the textbook and has different needs that sometimes seem different from hour to hour, let alone day to day or year to year. Um, You have to also remember that you're still a person and you need to find little ways to recharge so that you can meet those needs because, you know, for some of us who have special needs kids, um, we can't go away or go hide in a closet and have chocolate because that special needs child could wreak havoc literally while you're away in another room. Um, And then others of us are able to meet our husband in the driveway and take the keys from the car that he has just vacated and go up to Panera and hide until after bedtime. So wherever you are on that spectrum, you need to find little ways to give yourself the chance, the opportunity and permission to recharge until the next thing or the next thing. And so remembering that nobody's going to love them like you, nobody can care for them like you, nobody will advocate for them like you. And also that you need to be able to be there in order to do those things. So you need to take care of them and take care of yourself in the process is what I would say to any parent in that situation or with that doubt. Beautiful. So well said. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I'm guessing based on experience, like at a certain point, did you realize, whoa, this is so much. Now I have to do something different. 
Yeah. Yeah. And there have been times when I was that parent who couldn't get away. I mean, I have four children and there's exactly 10 years between my oldest and my youngest. You know, that youngest was a little bit of a surprise. We thought we were done and he came along. And so we've got the nine and the 19 year old, but you know, there were times when I've got, when I had the toddler and the preteen fighting his way through everything. And then the two in the middles needing their needs met as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my husband working full time, um, and coming home exhausted at the end of the day and not being able to get away or not being able to do anything where, you know, I had to find little ways to give myself a break during the day. And now that I have a 19 year old and a 14 year old and my 14 year old, everybody should have one of her, like she's 14 (laughs) going on 35. She could run my house better than me. And so I'm really lucky in that. Um, but then, my nine-year-old is every bit as challenging as that 19-year-old was when he was a little one. And so it's kind of like recycling again, but there were times <laughs> that was when my, I would, my first and fourth too. Yeah. It's crazy. It's yes. so crazy. And then you'd think like 10 years between them, they wouldn't fight. The sibling rivalry is the worst between <laughs> them than any of them. So anyway, but there were times like I would just go to the backyard and I would say, you know, I'd put on a movie or a video or something that I knew would keep at least the youngest ones enthralled. And I go to the backyard to our little gazebo and I would sit. And if Mm -hmm. the big kids came out, I'd be like, Nope, I'm introverting right now. You need to go back inside. (laughs) I'll be in when I'm done. And I would just, I would be there. I would just swing in the backyard until Mm -hmm. I could focus again, or I'd pop in my earbuds and I'd listen to some music or a book on tape or a podcast or something. And I would say, if it's not, if nothing's burning or no one's bleeding, I just need a few minutes Um, and then now with older kids, I just got back last week. I went away for four and a half days with some friends. We rented an Airbnb and we, um, we did a little bit of work. We did a little bit of chatting. We drank some wine and had dinner each night and we went to bed early and slept late. And Uh so I have the opportunity now with older kids to be able to recharge in ways that can fuel me for longer periods. But there were times I couldn't do anything, but like shake in a corner with a piece of dark chocolate and a cup of coffee. So (laughs) wherever you are, you just need to find those little spaces and know that you're not alone, right? Here I am with a master's degree in gifted education, decades of working with parents of quirky kids, just like mine. And I'm still cowering in a corner sometimes with chocolate or walking out when my husband gets home and saying, I need a break or reading a romance fluffy novel to hide from everybody else and not think about anything because let's face it, romance plots don't require a whole lot of thinking, um, <laughs> you know, just to unwind and not worry about anything. So it's universal. It's not mm-hmm. my degree in your experience doesn't make us not worry and struggle. It just helps us be more aware that we're not the only ones and everybody needs to recharge or unplug for a while. Yeah, I love your um, emphasis on the separateness, because I do know that there's some parents that say I don't need that. And I think either they're very extroverted, or they haven't been doing this for very long. But when you talk about uh, the growth angle that you are at ease, or accepting that that is what childhood is about is that growth and there's addressing the challenges. And that's part of what the purpose is in childhood. I think that's actually life. I think that's the purpose of life too. I don't always like it. And I'm not going to say that I signed up for it because check that sounds fun. But (laughs) at the same time, it is and if this two years last two years hasn't taught us anything, it is that um, growth is required 
to maintain sanity. And so uh, probably the precursor for that is to accept that growth is required. And the children that were given, I think are handpicked for a reason. So I find it very interesting that you had this master's degree in this area. And then you had these kids that, wow, now you're in the thick of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 It offers me a really unique perspective. And I think that mm-hmm. that's helped in my like post public education work, the stuff that yeah. I've done over the last 10 years, because I come at it now from that, the pedagogy pedagogical perspective, but also the day-to-day living, which is different. And, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again and again and again, there are parents I wish I could go back to and apologize to Uh, for what I said or thought or did um, when I taught their kids and advocated Mm -hmm. for them in the school system, because I didn't fully understand the relentlessness of living with challenging kids on a day-to-day basis and then homeschooling them and then advocating for them in outside settings. And so um, you don't truly know it until you live it. And I'm profoundly grateful that I not only had the background, but also the personal experience, because I do think that it helps me, you know, look a parent in the eye at a conference or a convention or at a playground and say, you're not alone. This is normal. It's weird. And it doesn't seem normal because most of the other parents around us aren't experiencing this, but it is your normal and it's okay. And you're going to get to the other side of it. I think that that's a huge gift. Yeah, it is beautiful that you can identify with them in that way. You have so many resources available for them online. And, you know, you you recently opened up a Life Learners Lab. Is that the way you pronounce it? Yeah, the Learners Lab. It's um, it's a membership community for families who have any kind of differently wired, creative, quirky kids, whether they're identified or not. If you know that, you know, your your kid just doesn't quite fit in the box, right? Um, it's an online membership community where we focus on connecting families who often feel like they don't have anyone that they can connect with, connecting the kids and the parents. Um, and then we teach, um, creative thinking classes, problem solving classes. And then, um, we have a focus on social and emotional skills, um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, challenges where they can win prizes and things. Um, throughout the the uniqueness of the community and kind of my passion um, and what founded it is it's unlike most communities that you join in that it has completely separate forums for the whole family and then for just parents. So kids can get in there and they can share things they're working on. They're sharing pictures. Parents are talking to the kids. The kids are talking to the parents. They're all sharing different things and joining in these classes and stuff together, but then parents can log into this separate forum that's away from where the kids can see the content and they can ask those tough questions. Like my kid is doing this. I am at a loss. Does anybody else have any experience with this? So they can get that. And then we do a monthly masterclass or Q&A with the parents. So the parents are getting support and resources, but the kids are getting fed Mm -hmm. um, that creative and... um, outside the box joy that comes from being with other kids like them. Uh, so yeah, it's, um, I don't know when this is airing, but it opens three times a year. Um, yeah. We just closed it. And there is, um, I can give you the link to share because there's always a wait yeah. list that you yeah. can sign up for. And then when I, whenever I speak at conferences, I tend to kind of open it for a day. So any of the people 
with whom I just spoke that wanted to join can go in there. So there's, if you're on the wait list, you get other opportunities throughout the year to join us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, but there's also the podcast, which is free. And then resources on the site, lots and lots and lots of articles that can tide you over until you can join the community if that's what you're looking for. Yeah. And I really encourage everybody to listen because it's even, um, even if you don't have neurodiverse children, understanding how kids, they're all quirky in some extent. And I know that it's a different kind of quirky. I get that. But it helps you to be really comfortable with your kids and know how to address your kids. And it just gives you so many ideas, your podcast. Um, Yeah, it really does. There's two things I wanted to mention too, that, you know, as you were saying in the beginning, that when kids have these twice exceptionalities or this giftedness, they also have something that is a challenge for them. And one of the things is anxiety. And you, you specifically address how to discuss anxiety with your kids. You have an anxiety toolkit, 96 ways to help your child calm their worries, and a card deck as well. And I think those are very unique Um, you know, resources that you don't find often, but you do definitely find the anxiety as a challenge for kids that are twice exceptional. And especially right now, like you said, after the last two years we had, the anxiety spiked a lot in children. And so it's, there's, there are several, probably over a dozen different articles on the site that relate to anxiety in some way. There's videos that I've done as well as podcast episodes. And then that card deck, it's a toolbox of ideas that you can draw from. Um, it's a physical deck. And if you're out of the country, um, we, we do have actually, we just finished a digital version of it that is not online yet, but should be within a week or two. Um, so you could still purchase it and print it yourself if you're out of the country. Um, because that's been the hardest challenge in sending things yourself, you know, I'm not Amazon or a big conglomerate. So figuring out how to get things to different countries was challenging. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I think one of the things you said um, that I really appreciated was that the podcast in particular, but the site as well has resources that you can use no matter how your kids are wired, whether yeah. they're neuroatypical or typical. And I think that that stems from the whole way I got into gifted education in the first place was because the idea of meeting kids where they are, loving them for who they who they are, and then moving them forward in interesting and fun ways every single day is the underpinning of everything that I do. These kids, uh-huh. all kids are mm-hmm. super interesting, super yeah. individual. And mm-hmm. so it's just learning how to know your kid that is the underlying tenant of everything that I talk about and say with that lens of giftedness and twice exceptionalities, but there's certainly takeaways that you can get no matter how your kids are designed. Exactly. And that's exactly my takeaways every time. I also come from that um, unschooling, self-directed education. I don't want to attach a word to it because I don't really want to be committal, (laughs) but I am also coming from that angle. And when you say to help kids become the best versions of themselves that they can be. I'm like, yeah, we all <laughs> identify with that as homeschool parents. To close our interview, I'd love to hear your thoughts, what you would share with a mom or a dad that comes to you and says, I don't know if I can do this. What would be your response? Well, it goes back to what I said earlier. You can, because there's, you know, there's nobody there's nobody that loves your kid like you do. There's nobody 
that will advocate better than you. There's nobody that will find exactly how your child learns and tailor their education in that way to meet their needs, especially. But even if you worry, if you desperately want to do it, but you don't think you can, don't let your doubts get in your way because you don't ever have to do it alone. There are so many resources. When I started 13 years ago, there were resources, but they weren't as prevalent and prominent as they are now. And I didn't know anybody and I doubted and you couldn't just pop your earbuds in and be flooded with podcast after podcast after podcast about it. Like, I don't even know that podcasts were a big thing then. And I certainly didn't listen to any. Um, I had to search and search for the handful of homeschool blogs that were out there just Mm -hmm. to find information. And, you know, now there are books that hit the top of the bestseller list that are all about homeschooling. There are videos and Facebook pages and podcasts and blogs. And I mean, it's on mainstream media. We, we were interviewed me and a a handful of other people who are on different social media about homeschooling. We're in the wall street journal at the beginning of the pandemic, because there's so much there. You just have to pop a hashtag into Instagram or Twitter Mm -hmm. or Facebook, and you can find resources. You don't have to go it alone and you don't have to reinvent the wheel and you don't even have to make it up. You can just find somebody doing it with a similar kid to yours and try what they're doing. And if it works, phenomenal, run with it. If it doesn't, try something different. You're not going to screw up. You're not going to mess anything up. You're not going to hurt your kid in any way because the truth is there's nothing you're going to do that can't be fixed or undone when it comes to anything academic. But there's so much you can give them heart-wise that they're never going to get in the school system. And so you don't have to worry about the, the paper pencil academic-y stuff because you're feeding their souls and their hearts and building connections. So all that other stuff can come along because you're on the same team. Beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. Well said. Thank you. So where do we find you online? Yeah, you can find me. The easiest place is raisinglifelonglearners.com. That'll land you on the homepage that has links to the podcast, the membership community we talked about, um, the blog, all the different articles that I've written, and everything is right there. Such a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much for coming on, Colleen. Thank you for having me. It was fun to finally see your face and talk to you. Yes, exactly. Thanks for being here. I'm so glad that you are part of the Homeschool Mama Self-Care podcast community. I can't wait to get to know you more and your homeschooled kiddos. I encourage you to jump on to my website, www.capturingthecharmlife.com. And in the show notes page of this podcast episode, you can share all about you, introduce you and your homeschooled kids on the SpeakPipe app to that page. Or you can throw a comment up on any page and I'd be happy to connect with you because I'm here to walk alongside you from one homeschool mama to another, to encourage you toward clarity, confidence, and vision in your homeschool. This podcast explores aspects of self-care that I hope will serve the real homeschool mom in her real homeschool days. Because there are a few issues that most homeschool moms grapple with. Sometimes we grapple with that not good enough feeling, perfectionism, loneliness, anger, 
doubt, boredom, anyone? How about impatience or having to reparent ourselves after past trauma, even self-confidence and identity issues, and most definitely overwhelm? All the human feelings in the homeschool mom experience. To build into this community, I have created a Patreon community. As a supporter, your contribution helps me access equipment, reach guests, and supports the time it takes to get into the creative work to build each of these episodes. Be a supporter, and you receive access to my Patreon-only feed, access to extended guest interviews, discounts on group mentoring, intensives, and masterminds, all the archived Patreon episodes and content, a community of like-minded homeschool moms, You can also access monthly support chats and ask me anything days. I'm really looking forward to building into this community, building into you and getting to know you. If you're interested in joining the Homeschool Mama self-care Patreon community, you can check me out on patreon.com homeschool mama self-care. I'll see you there.